Welcome to So Here's the Thing, where we share candid conversations that lift the veil on what it takes to find success, even if that means sharing a few unpopular opinions. I'm your host, Leili Amati. Grab some coffee or a cocktail, and let's get real. Welcome back to another episode. I'm so excited to be introducing our guest today, Dr. Tiffany Urich, who is so passionate about helping entrepreneurs stand out in their saturated markets by increasing their brand's visibility, authority, and impact, which is what we're all about here. Tiffany has a PhD and over 20 years of experience in the communications industry as a university professor, as a strategist, an author, and the host of several TV programs, which is so super cool. So I'm going to go ahead and pass over the floor to Tiffany. Tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit more about how you got started, you know, teaching all of this in the creative industry and really bringing the importance of publicity and standing out by using really good PR um, as a creative. Sure. And Laylee, your audience is so amazing. And I'm honored to be here to get to share some tips with them about growing their business. So thank you so much for inviting me onto the podcast today. Thank you. The creative part for me was always pretty easy. I'm kind of a hobby collector. I spin yarn, I knit, I sew, I carve wood, I bake, I garden, I do all these things. I really am a little bit of a hobby collector. So anything beautiful, anything creative has always been a joy to me. The entrepreneurial part of that um, came a little more slowly. I grew up in a family with a small business, but it wasn't until I got a little bit older that I really began to have that desire to build and grow my own business. In fact, early on, I really wanted to work in radio theater. <laughs> that was kind of my big dream, but dreams change and we discover new interests. And while I was in college, I discovered the world of public relations. I was really fascinated. I went on to work in my master's program. And at the time, I ended up getting my first job out of college was as a producer for a television news program. Very quickly, I found myself reporting and then anchoring. I was hosting a couple of interview shows. And I actually had the chance to host a travel television show, which was a lot of fun. So this was all going on at the same time. And what I found I was always doing was looking for stories. I was just always looking for the news the unusual, the innovative, um, new stories to cover. And I really developed a love in this time for covering stories in the community, feature stories about nonprofits, about small businesses, really just developed a heart and a passion for the people working in those industries. So I'd spent a couple of years in television. And if you know anything about the TV world, it is intense. Like there is no off time, no downtime ever. And I really felt like that wasn't the direction I wanted to take my life. That was um, just very intense. And I really wanted to be doing something a little bit different. And I really wanted to work with the people that I so enjoyed um, working with and telling their stories. So I went back home and I worked for the family business for a few years and got to do some PR work there, began working with some other people in the community and just as a hobby was helping people um, get their products placed in magazines or getting news coverage for them. And in that time, my mom was saying, you know, you really got to start a PR agency. I said, nah, nobody's going to listen to me. Who cares? You know, I'm a 20 something. What am I going to do? Well, I ended up being invited um, to teach at a nationally ranked university. And I never thought I would teach ever. And turned out I loved it. My plan was to go for one year and I stayed for nearly a decade. I worked on my PhD at that time. And a lot of my research focused on understanding the way that communities and relationships develop online and helped brands and businesses understand what makes a thriving online community, what stories they tell, what activities they undergo to get people um, to sort of generate and polarize underneath their brand. 
I really enjoyed that research. And that's where my book came out. Uh, it's called Knitting Together Community. It's not at all um, a light read. It's definitely an academic dissertation <laughs> style book. It's a 400 pages. But I use that material when I'm working with my clients. I use it when I'm speaking and when I'm teaching. And it turned out to just be some really helpful, very valuable information for understanding how brands tell their story. And all along, again, I was fine-tuning this love of telling stories. I've always been a storyteller. So I was hosting a TV show uh, over that time that required digging out unusual stories that would interest viewers. I started requiring my journalism students to get off campus, out from behind the computer, meet people in the community, and find newsworthy stories to write about. I had a digital content class, and I was teaching PR by assigning them each a business or a nonprofit that they had to work with. They had to help them develop a new web presence, do their social media, their content strategy, their press releases, all of that. And I really saw the way that you could develop a public relations approach that was service first, rather than look at me, look at me, but really about what can we do to help people. And I became really passionate about understanding how businesses could take that approach and build their business. And again, as a fun break from doctoral work, because it's kind of all consuming, I was helping educators and business owners and students with a passion produce podcasts and blogs so they could get more exposure for their work. I have to be honest here and kind of do some self-disclosure. I hear a lot of people talk about the nine to five and how they really hate their nine to five. They're working that side hustle until they can you know, take it full time. One, I've never really had a traditional nine to five. When you're working in television or when you're working as a university professor, it's very unusual. You don't have that, that nine to five schedule. But the other side of that was that I loved my job. I really did. I loved working with students and the colleagues uh, that were my mentors. Really enjoyed that. And my side hustle was really something that I was just doing for free to help out friends and, and people in the community. I'd never intended to monetize it. So all along, I was doing and teaching these same things again and again, how to tell stories, how to interview and be interviewed, and how to create communication strategies that got people noticed. And more and more people were asking for help. How do you do this? How do you get placed? How do you get into magazines? Or how do you start a podcast? Or how do you get an interview or get onto television? And really felt like there was an opportunity here as I was talking to small business owners to help them understand how to do their own PR. Because here's the thing. The very big uh, companies that can afford an agency are paying five, 10, 20, sometimes $40,000 a month to get PR coverage. And that's all well and good, but for many small business owners, that's an entire year's income just for one month of retainer for PR agency. And I really wanted to help people who were kind of afraid of the media or intimidated by media to get out there and get their message and get their story out. There are some incredible small businesses doing incredible things. And I want them to be heard. I want them to be uh, authorities in their industry. I want them to have impact. I want them to grow their businesses and put some of that growth on autopilot. And so I started working with these small companies, with entrepreneurs, even dreamers who didn't have a business yet to start building that authority. And in the midst of all this, I finished my PhD. I got tenure. And if your audience isn't familiar with what tenure is, it's sort of like the ultimate job security. It says, we want you... And barring illegal activities, you get to stay here forever. And so I got tenure on a Thursday, left for spring break, and was talking to my family. And I said, I really want to take this full time. I really have a passion to take this to people who need it and to, to help them overcome that self-doubt, that imposter syndrome, that intimidation when it comes to growing their business. And I said, I think I want to take this full time. So I got tenure on a Thursday. 
went back a week later and gave my resignation. And so that's not the typical trajectory for a college professor and went in full-time and haven't looked back. So that's where we're at. I love that. I think um, it's really interesting because a lot of people do kind of do their side hustle in order to go full-time. And I, I actually, it resonates with me a lot when you say that you weren't really ever intending on going full-time. I felt the same way. I was not a college professor. I was a high school teacher, but I loved teaching high school. And honestly, it was never my intent to stop doing that in order to go full-time into my business. But I feel like sometimes the unlikeliest paths are the ones that end up being the most interesting and the most rewarding. So I appreciate you sharing your story with us, especially just kind of like the snippets in there about how important it is to get publicity and like how to get in the media and how all of that, you know, just ties into creating a really great experience and really great exposure for people. So um, just kind of right off the bat, like what would you say, how does getting that kind of publicity, how does getting inside the media or getting featured in things, like how is that, aside from just adding exposure, how does that help people's businesses? Like why, why should small business owners and entrepreneurs be seeking out that kind of feature? That is a great question. And I tell people this, imagine, well, you don't even have to imagine, Lily, you're a photographer. And so imagine that you are talking to someone and they say, well, what do you do? And you say, I'm a photographer. And I say, oh, that's nice. Or if you say, I'm a photographer and I've been featured in The Knot and Bride, right? Bride Magazine. All of a sudden, you are an extremely credible, like you're the real deal, right? So there's incredible authority that comes with that and credibility that comes with that. Now, you could say, well, I did, you know, $6 million in photography sales last year. That would also tell people that you're credible and that you're good at what you do. But really, for most business owners, the fastest, easiest way to get what we call social proof is to get press coverage of some kind. So this could be a mention in a magazine or a layout or spread or whatever that is your product in a magazine. You could be featured as an expert on Entrepreneur or Forbes. Uh, You could be interviewed on a podcast. Uh, You could be in your local newspaper. You could be on Good Morning America. You know, so there's all of these different ways that you can get into the media. And when you can show people that you've been featured in those ways, it instantaneously brings that kind of social proof and credibility. And social proof, I like to explain it this way. I think most people are familiar with the concept, but there's kind of a classic example. Let's say you're in a new town and you and a friend want to go out and have dinner. You don't really know anything about what's available in town. So you go and there's two restaurants side by side downtown. One has no one in it and the other has a line out the door. Most of us are going to go to the restaurant with the line out the door. Why? Because... It's obviously must be a better choice if that many people are lining up and there's no one in the other, you know, restaurant, um, then we go to the one that's less risk. And so that's kind of the concept of social proof. There are a couple of ways you can get it. Testimonials are one way, but the fastest, the easiest way often is to get press coverage. And the other thing about press coverage is that uh, there's a certain sense of you've been vetted by a third party. There's an old saying in PR and it's go- it goes like this. Ads are what you pay for. Publicity is what you pray for. The idea being um, that anybody can get ads. I have a friend who likes to say that advertising is the price you pay for mediocrity. I think that's a little bit harsh. Um, I actually think advertising plays a really important role in our businesses. But you can advertise to get exposure. 
But once you get people interested in what you're doing and seeing what you're doing, what helps them make the decision and what they purchase, which service or which provider they, they purchase from. And it's quite often that social proof that you can prove that other people have vetted you. And because not everybody can get publicity and because you won't get it every time, it has um, a little bit of exclusivity with it, which means you are the real deal. So that's what we kind of consider it that gold medal, the gold standard of credibility for your small business. So that's one of the many reasons, um, but I think it's probably the, the most important and the one that we can identify most quickly. I love that. I think that there's so much gold in what you just said. I really do believe obviously that social proof is one of the most, I feel undervalued things that people can put their focus on. I feel like a lot of times when trying to seek out exposure, I think we forget like, how do we buy? How do we decide what to invest in? And for me, I mean, if there's not like solid reviews from actual people, I probably won't invest. In fact, this past week, I've been looking at places to invest in my own personal like business growth and looking at different programs and different coaches. And the first thing I do is look for either positive reviews, like you mentioned, testimonials. And then I look at where have they been featured? Who has written about them? Is there anything negative out there? Is there anything positive out there? And so I think we do kind of undervalue it in our own businesses as small business owners. We just forget how we end up thinking about how to actually invest in things. Hey, my fellow creative friend, I know that being a business owner comes with a ton of admin work, but it does not have to feel overwhelming. Today's show is brought to you by HoneyBook, the CRM for creatives that I personally use in my own business. HoneyBook has made my client management, accounting, and contracting so much easier. Plus, the back end is gorgeous and very user-friendly. You can try HoneyBook for free today, plus get 50% off your first year by heading to our show notes and using the referral link there. Trust me when I say from personal experience, HoneyBook is life-changing. So I would love for you to kind of, if you don't mind, chat about where can we get started if we want media coverage, if we want to be featured in press. And I know that's such a loaded question. So, you know, anything you've got to throw our way, like where can, where can we get started if we've never tried to get featured? I mean, obviously I feel like Aside from the whole, it it is, I think, easier for like wedding industry people to get featured because there's so many like wedding blogs and so many things like that out there for photographers and planners and florists. But in general, if there's anything like beyond that, that you can mention. Absolutely. That's a great question. And you're right. It's loaded. There's a lot. So we'll kind of strap in, just interrupt me whenever and and ask follow-up questions with that. When it comes to getting press, when it comes to getting noticed and standing out, What you need to focus on first is actually not getting the story. You actually need to focus on getting your business and your website ready to be pitched, ready for media attention, for all eyes to be on your business. There are a couple of reasons for that. First of all, you want your media professional to get the pitch, come back and do their research and say, hey, this person's legit or, hey, they've made my job really easy. And I'll talk about that here in a second. But secondly, you also need to consider, is my business ready for that kind of attention? Uh, It's not uncommon for a business to get a fantastic review or a press coverage piece and then have a flood of activity back to their website and they can't handle the traffic, you know, so they don't have the product to sell or they don't have the the time to have those kinds of services. And so um, I love helping educators, especially. I know that you are passionate about helping educators and I love helping educators as well, because one of the great things is when you move into that course format, 
you can just keep, you know, selling all day. And so you don't have to worry as much about, you know, is there enough of my product or my service to go around if I get a major feature? So that's another one of those things you want to think about. But for your website, you really want to make sure that your website is ready, that you have a press kit of some kind, uh, that you, when you send a pitch out, you can send them a link that's usually like a hidden page on your site that they'll go back, they'll find your bio, they'll find any um, logos or anything that are helpful to them, and then pictures. And for your listeners, I actually have a resource. If they'll go to tiffanyurick.com slash and I think you'll have that on your website, I actually have a free training for them that will walk them through all of the things that they can put in their site. It's really something that you can do over a couple of days, just spending one hour a day to get your site completely ready from getting a biography that is compelling, but also has a call to action, something that people are interested in to photographs, what you need to do, what you don't need to do. And just having all of that set out in a press kit built in your site on a private page, or you can also put it like in a Google drive, you know, file that you can just copy and paste in. And so you really want to make sure that you start at the beginning with all of those pieces in place before you start to pitch. The next phase of that process is really trying to understand what is it that you want to achieve through your publicity campaign. Because what you're trying to achieve is going to alter where you're going to reach out and the kind of story you're going to tell. So are you trying to get more customers? Are you really trying to take your business to that next level where as an expert, you're now a thought leader in your industry? Are you early on in the process and trying to gain credibility? Are you trying to do all of those things? And it's fine if you are, but understanding who your target audience is and where they hang out is going to be the next uh, best part of that process. So spend a little time saying, am I trying to reach more of my ideal customer? If so, where are my existing customers hanging out? What are they listening to? What are they reading? What are they watching? Those are the things I want to target. Quite often I have people who come to me and they say, my goal is to be on Good Morning America. Can you get me there next week? Well, (laughs) depends. Uh, So a lot of times we get this idea that we need to be in the biggest, uh, most national publication or production ever to get great media coverage. That's actually not the case. For instance, you probably never see me on Good Morning America talking about getting publicity because their audience doesn't care about that. And that's really not going to net me much in the way of customers. Most of my clients have already started their day. They're already at work or they're with their families, you know, and they're not even watching that TV program. And so it's really understanding where your target audience is hanging out and then looking to see what kinds of publication or what kinds of stories they're running. Now there's sort of an art and a science between finding out what they need, what they're covering and how you can come to the table with something new. And so this is really that storytelling process. And this is where I love helping people really dig down my clients and my students. We really dig down into where are their stories in your business What can you do that has to do with your expertise that is new or unique or innovative or disruptive? How can we take the stories that are already out there and put our spin on them or our twist on them? There's a concept called news hacking uh, that if there's something going on in the news right now and you have a story related to that, you can reach out. Most of us don't have that. So the example that would be like, um, let's say that there's a big national study that just comes out. It's in all of the news outlets about how eggs are like the best thing to eat uh, for your health, for your longevity, and you need to eat farm fresh eggs. Well, if you happen to be a farmer and you, you know, have eggs and you sell eggs, 
that's a great opportunity for us to kind of news hack that cycle. Most of us uh, are doing things that are a little more evergreen, not quite so timely. And so there are some other elements of newsworthiness that we're looking for to try to uh, connect our story with what's going on in those publications. And so a lot of the time, this is really just finding out what is the story uh, that you're going to tell and where, again, you're going to reach out. So when you are thinking about what story to tell, think first about how you can help the reporter serve their audience. One of the things that business owners tell me a lot is, well, I don't want to bug that reporter or that podcaster or that, that magazine writer or that editor. You're not bugging them, all right? If you've ever tried to create content, you know how challenging it is to constantly be coming up with new, innovative, creative content. They have no different a situation. There's no like secret well of creativity and content that they have access to that you don't. And so think about someone whose job is to find good stories and tell good stories. They love when people bring those stories to them and to the table. So if you've got a great story to tell, you are helping a reporter significantly and helping them do their job well. And if you repeatedly bring great content to the table, they're going to ask you for more information. They're going to be more likely to run you again and again. So think first about how you can help the reporter serve their audience really well. And then think about that audience and what they need from that publication uh, to help them do something better or get more information, whatever it is you do. So if you're just uh, dipping in your toes, what I suggest doing is really make it about your ideal client. What information do they need about your product or about your service? And then find a unique angle or a hook on maybe a classic issue. For instance, uh, let's say you're a wedding photographer. I know you have a lot of wedding photographers that are listening. And if you're not familiar with reporting in the world of journalism, you might think, oh, hey, I could write a story or be interviewed on a story for getting great engagement photos. And that sounds like, hey, that's a great story. That's actually a story that's kind of overdone and in a sense kind of bland. So you really need something that is a unique and a different hook on that. So for instance, one that I saw recently, I think this was a great idea. Instead of getting great engagement photos, which is kind of a snore, they pitched a story that was nine tips for including your dog in your engagement photos. I thought, that's great. I mean, it's not everybody and that's fine. It doesn't need to appeal to everybody, but for that publication, for that audience, it was fantastic. It was information for a specific kind of client that's looking for a specific kind of photograph and gave them nine really good tips. The plus side was that it also gave that reporter a chance to show off some of their own imagery. And so now there's people that are reading this, you know, magazine, see this article, see these great pictures by this photographer, and they're thinking, wow, that's really good. And so uh, you're getting exposure and you are serving the reporter or the podcaster or whomever the media professional is, and you're really serving your ideal client. Um, So that's a great angle on a traditional concept. Uh, It speaks to, again, a very specific kind of client and gives reporters some specific direction. And you could do that one of two ways. You could pitch the concept and some main points to a reporter and have them interview you for that piece, or you could actually write the piece yourself up as a contributor. It's really up to you in the publication that you're pitching. If you want to go a little bit deeper, you can look internally and discover what's really unique about your business, your structure, even your method. So let's say you're a paper goods designer. Uh, You could talk about um, unusual materials like one I read recently on onion skin stationery or a how-to on monogram etiquette on your stationery. So there's a lot of different ways that you could take that approach, especially if you're a service-based provider, but a product-based supplier as well. And so there's lots of different ways that you can 
get that story developed. And then it's time for the pitch. Yeah, that's actually perfect. I was the next question I had for you was like, if you have one or two tips on the best practices in terms of like actually pitching. And then an, an additional question that I would love for you to just touch on would be like where people should be looking to pitch or reaching out because I feel like it's just such a it's a such a separate world from our normal like creative industry of, you know, blogs and things like that. But I feel like people don't even know where to start in terms of like where should I actually be pitching this information to, if that makes sense? Absolutely. That's a question that we get a lot. And I work with my clients and my students and we work through this process. We look at a couple different things. Um, what are your, where are your, where are your ideal publications or where are your ideal clients hanging out? And I usually like to encourage people, we'll start with just a couple and then we'll build that list out. Where do you really want to be published? Uh, and then other times it's just strictly, you know, where is that client hanging out? That's a place I haven't thought of. And so we'll start targeting those audiences. Think about, again, that client when you're deciding where you want to pitch. Uh, because again, you don't want to, let's say me as a, a PR professional. Um, I'm not going to go pitch myself necessarily to a PR outlet and talk about how to do your own PR, right? Because that's kind of self-explanatory. Those are all professionals. Instead, when I write for a PR audience, I'm writing about um, things in their agency or trends or new tips to try with clients, you know, that kind of thing. So it really does change based on the, the target audience that you're trying to attract. And so I encourage people to start with one target audience, really build out their campaign there before they begin adding in other kinds of audiences. When you are looking at where you want to publish and or, or be interviewed, where you want to be featured, and what kind of story you want to tell, I like to do that process kind of hand in hand, back and forth. And so I'm developing some ideas uh, where I want to pitch to, and I kind of work that process back and forth until I have a few target publications and a few ideas for um, features. When you're ready to pitch, just in the process of getting started and figuring out who you're going to pitch to, this is going to take a little bit of research on your part. So you want to find a specific person. The biggest mistake that I see when people are pitching is that they send to like a mass email to a hundred different people with the same pitch. No magazine wants to find out that they've just run the same articles or competitor, right? So you do it one at a time, uh, wait till you get some feedback before you move on or, you know, give it a specific amount of time before you move on and pitch it to someone else. So once you've decided who and where you're going to pitch to, you need to do, again, a little bit of research on the person that you need to send that pitch to. And so this would be like a writer, for instance, that has written a story that's a very similar to your story or in that same vein. So if you are writing about photography or about wedding design, um, find a reporter or an editor who has covered that story. One of my favorite things to do are homework days. And I go to the bookstore, I sit down with the magazines and I just look through and I see, okay, who's writing what? I'm not even really reading the magazine articles as much as I'm just seeing who's writing what. Some of these are freelancers. Some of these are staff writers. Some of them are editors. Same thing with a television program. I go find out who the producer of that program is, or I do a little research on the podcast. And then I take that information, those names, and I start digging online to find out, well, what else have they done recently? Uh, if it's a podcaster, what are some episodes, especially if it's one that I don't listen to regularly? What are some recent episodes? Have they talked about my topic? If you see that someone has covered your topic and your first reaction is, oh, well, then they won't want to cover me. That's actually the wrong reaction because when you see that someone has covered your topic, it tells you that they're interested in it. 
And so they might be very interested in continuing a conversation with a different perspective. So those are great publications and podcasts to target. Yeah. But go back, look and see what they've done, become familiar with their work, and then start digging for their contact information. This is way easier than you think. So you can start on LinkedIn. Uh, you can just start on their publications, um, you know, about us page, their team page, find the email address. And if it's a little harder to find, you can actually go in and find someone else who works in that publication. And you'll usually see that there's kind of a naming convention. So like it might be Tiffany Yurick at something, or it could be T Yurick at something. And you can kind of hack that. And, and more often than not, you can get that email address because it's just not that hard. People aren't that creative and innovative. They're not trying to confuse people. I love that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that tip. Yeah. That is so, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, this isn't rocket science, but like, am I allowed to do yeah. this? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and so you are, you are absolutely allowed and you, I encourage people reach out, have a good reason for reaching out, but yeah, you can kind of hack that system. People aren't necessarily actively trying to hide their email addresses. They're just not always readily available, you know, in a company directory, but yeah, if you can find one, you can figure out everybody's and it might be a variation, especially if they're, you know, an executive or something like that, but, um, you can usually figure out that email address based on somebody else's email address in that organization. So get that information, figure out who you're writing to. Now, here's the thing. When you write the pitch, it really needs to be very personal. It needs to be like writing a little bit to a friend, um, not in a creepy way, not in a stalker way, but um, use their name. Say hi, so-and-so. And then I like to think of it in three parts. The first one is where you give just a very brief introduction to yourself. Uh, and this is where, and, and there are different ways you can do this. Uh, with my students and my clients, I give them some templates. So these are kind of like my proven templates that work really well based on the situation, what you're trying to pitch. But uh, think first, if this is the first time you've ever done it, in like one sentence, that here is who you are and uh, what makes you credible. So for me, you'll see most of the time when I pitch, one of the first things I'm going to say is that I have a PhD in communications because that kind of opens doors. That is um, an element of credibility again, and it tells people, okay, she knows what she's talking about. Uh, sometimes I'll tell them, hey, I've been featured here or here. Uh, and this again, especially if it's a bigger publication or a more well-known you know, podcast, people will be intrigued and say, well, if they were talking to her, then maybe I need to be you know, talking to her too. And so uh, that's something that you can do, or you can lead with, you know, uh, your years of experience or something innovative that you're doing with your business or the number of clients that you've served. If you've worked, you know, with a thousand different people, that's a great number to put in there. The key is don't put it all in there. Okay. And all of us, even professionals have a tendency to kind of overwrite these kinds of pitches. They really need to be very short and very simple because that person that's going to look at it is busy. They have just a few minutes. Really, they're going to look at that in the first five or 10 seconds, they're done. Like they're going to move on. And so the beginning really does need uh, to capture their attention. So as soon as you've just given like one sentence introduction, who you are, then I suggest moving into, I noticed that you write about, or I know that you like to write about, or I saw this article, or I heard this podcast. I really loved it. Something that tells that person that you are familiar with their work, right? The worst thing you can do is send something that indicates to that media professional that you don't have a clue what they do. You don't know what they write about. You don't know what they talk about on their podcast. So instead really focus on understanding what they do, what they cover, and 
this is my personality. I always like to tell people what I love about what they do. That's kind of natural to me. I, I do that in my conversations anyway. And so I do that in my emails as well. You know, I listened to this episode of your podcast. I really enjoyed, you know, this interview. And this is really what I got out of that episode. Again, it's not going on and on and on and on. It's just, you know, one sentence that indicates here's what you do. And then that's when you tell them, hey, here's this story that I think you might really like, or here's this topic I think you might enjoy covering, and here's what I think it will do for your audience. And so again, thinking about how you make their life easier, that media professional's life easier, and then what you can offer their clients or their customers or their listeners, their readers, their audience, okay? And so we just introduce ourselves. Here's what we liked about your podcast. Here's this idea that I have. And from that, you might say, we could cover this and we could cover this. For instance, that story that I was telling you about with the, um, you know, the nine tips for including your dog in your engagement photos. You could say, hey, I've seen that you write a lot about uh, engagement photography. And I have this idea I think you might really like and your readers would love. It's how to incorporate your dog into your engagement photos. Here's one tip, two tips we might cover. And I've got a few others. What do you think? And then leave the door open for them um, with that. You know, is this something you're interested in? Would this be helpful to you? Would now be a great time for this? I always like to add kind of a, a no pressure clause at the end, if you will, before I, before I wrap up that says, hey, if this would work for you right now, that's fantastic. And if this doesn't work for you, no problem. I'll reach back out to you in a little while with, you know, another idea. And so it's just a very simple email. It does not need to be long. It doesn't need to be long-winded. You don't need to give your entire history and biography. And again, even professionals have that problem. We'll sometimes get really excited uh, about, you know, a publication we really love and it's like, hey, I'm going to oversell this. And you don't need to do that. It really is such a simple process. In your subject line, I really encourage you to put just a very clear subject line that's what your story or your concept is about. That's much more likely to get their attention when they're getting, you know, sometimes four and 500 emails a day and sometimes not so many and sometimes more having that idea of what that story is going to be out, be about in the subject line is really helpful can grab their attention and then give your contact information i always like to include again a link to that press kit uh, in the email along with you know all of my contact information so that they can uh, get to me easily and then send it and then in a couple of weeks, usually about two weeks to three weeks, I'll do a follow-up that just says, hey, you know, did you see this? What did you think? What I try not to do in the follow-up is to make them feel bad about, hey, you know, you didn't get back to me. It's not like you didn't get back to me and I have this idea. A lot of times you won't hear back from someone. Um, but what you want to do is kind of make it lighthearted. Like, I know you're really busy. I'm busy too. Uh, I wanted to see if you'd had a chance to think about that topic or that story pitch. Will that work for you? And the other little key that I like to do here is I like to throw in one more additional idea. It's like, hey, if you like this, we could also add this, or you might like this idea better. Just kind of a, a little, hey, here's another direction we could take this. It gets their brain thinking. And a lot of times it's just, oh, you know, they hadn't had a chance to get back to you, or it was just buried in there. And so that brings you back up to the top of their mind. So just do a very low key, no, no problem, no risk, no guilt, you know, kind of a follow-up with that person. I think that's so great. I really appreciate just like how much tangible and tactical information you just shared. I feel like the, our listeners are going to have to go back and like listen to this episode multiple times with like a pen and paper. And I would actually advise that because I feel like so many of the things that you touched on, it's like a really nice how-to in terms of getting started. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. And of course, I have to kind of close our conversation with my signature. What is your unpopular opinion about PR, about press, about this entire topic? 
I love that you asked that question because it's so important, no matter what our field or our area of expertise is. Uh, there are lots of you know, uh, misconceptions running around in the world, especially about business. So I have actually three specific things that are kind of unpopular opinions about that topic, things that you won't hear people talking about. The first one is this. Many business owners think if I'm good at what I do, people will notice or the media will notice or clients will notice. They won't because it's not their job to find you. And a lot of times I have people come to me when they see their competitors being featured and they go, I can do that better. I know more than they do. I've been doing this longer than they have. I've served more people than they have. So why are they getting media coverage? Well, it's because they have a plan. They have a strategy. They have some help getting there and they are working that strategy. And that is how you get people to notice you. You develop that strategy and you work your plan and you will see a major return on investment. In fact, there is a classic study that was done years ago that showed that um, businesses who were featured in an article and then advertised on the same page. Uh, they would have people read it. People wouldn't even see the advertisements, but they would remember the mention in the feature and they were seven times more likely to buy after reading the feature than they were after seeing the advertisement. Someone very recently did an experiment with this and found that um, after spending one month just focusing on one kind of PR you know, press coverage, they had a 667% increase in conversions. That's almost 700%, right? Increase in conversions. That's amazing. And so it really does work, but it doesn't happen by accident. And so you really have to have a, a strategy, you have to have a plan, and you have to work that plan with your tools. Um, the second unpopular opinion is that publicity should be all about, look at me, look at me, you know, here's what I can do, I'm so great. And kind of living in an Instagram culture, we sort of accept that as fact. But the truth is, unless you're a celebrity or a pop star, nobody really cares what you're doing, right? They don't care about what you're doing, and this is harsh, but they don't really care about your business. What they care is about the story that you have to offer and how you can serve people. So if you're a person who does not like to be the center of attention, if you really don't like saying all the time, hey, look at me, I'm so great, PR is actually a fantastic tool for you because the way I work with my clients is we focus on service first, what we can give. The amazing thing about starting there when you're focusing on what you can give is that you get more reliable, more consistent press coverage. You can begin to kind of count on it and schedule it, um, but you also get a much better type of clientele who's really fascinated by what you're doing, interested in it. They appreciate what you're giving and they don't even really realize that they are sort of being marketed to in a sense. And so it's a great way to get eyes on your brand without necessarily worrying about eyes on you like a celebrity kind of status if that's not something that you're comfortable with. The third thing, and this is the one that people in the industry don't really love, it's kind of unpopular, is that the opinion is that you need to hire someone to do this for you because it's too complex, it's too expensive, it's too time consuming. Um, the people that you need to talk to are too inaccessible to get to, so you really need to hire someone. And my unpopular opinion is that you don't. You absolutely do not need to hire someone, especially early on or when your business is in a younger stage. At whatever point you're ready to move into those next tiers, you can do what you need to do on your own. Uh, you can actually make it part of the content creation you're already building, and it can become a very seamless part of your business strategy. You can use you know, one or two hours a week if you want. You can take a one half day a month. 
you can make it work with your timetable. So if you only want to do campaigns at certain times of the year, maybe you take two days every you know, four months and you do it that way. So it really works with your schedule, works with what you're doing in your content creation as it is. And all you need are some tools and some strategy to get you there. And then once you're doing that, once you're building your business, you now actually have a better idea of what you're looking for in an agency. So down the road, if you have that kind of money and you want to invest in an agency, now uh, you know what you're looking for. You know what your strategy is because you've been an active part of building it at every stage. And it doesn't have to be when you have a bigger business. In fact, you don't have to have a business at all. It's a great way for the dreamers who haven't quite moved from you know that nine to five or that side hustle into the full time to be building credibility before they've ever launched a product, a service, a course, whatever it is they're doing. So no, you don't need to hire an agency and you don't need to spend your entire year's income in one month just trying to get that kind of publicity. You can absolutely positively do it yourself and have a great time doing it. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing all of that information with us. I feel like, oh, I've got a list of things I need to tackle now. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And hopefully we can have you back on the show because you just have such a wealth of knowledge to share. So I really appreciate you. Thank you, Laylee. I appreciate you too. And thanks for the great content you're putting out into the world. Oh my gosh. I love it. Thanks. For show notes and resources mentioned on today's episode, head to SoHere'sTheThingPodcast.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, I'd love to read your review on iTunes. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next episode.